Hello, Adams. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. Hello, g'day, good morning. My name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed Paddy Sanchez, who is the co-author of the book Illuminate. So we did a review of Illuminate on the weekend, subtitled Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies and Symbols. And Paddy was awesome, awesome storyteller. Yeah, so as well as being an author, she's the Chief Strategy Officer of Duarte Inc. Consulting transformative marketing strategies for companies like Adobe, Cisco, Ericsson, Nike, GE, and a lot of the big dogs in the world. So, yep. yeah, she's got a wealth of experience and a lot to learn from her. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. Cool. Paddy time. Bang time. Well, nah. well Duarte is a uh, communication firm that specializes in presentations. Uh, and it began almost 30 years ago in Silicon Valley, which is uh, which is ages in Silicon Valley <laughs> timescale. So, uh, yeah, we, I wouldn't say we're dinosaurs because actually we reinvent ourselves all the time. Uh, but it's it's been quite an amazing journey that this company's been on in, in its 30 years. And uh, I joined very recently, about six years ago, when the company was on one of its next uh, reinventions, which we talk about in the book Illuminate. Mm. And um, my background is uh, as a marketer, communicator, and storyteller, and I came on to help us grow the storytelling consultancy. And it was a, a really exciting time and a wild ride because Nancy had just published Resonate, uh, which the market just gobbled up. Mm. People seemed to love it, and the phone started ringing like crazy. And uh, so I, I started answering the phone and, and helping people out, and it's been a really fun journey. Yeah, unreal. Yeah, so the, the sub-tag of the book is Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. So why do you think, why do we need change? What, what is the importance of change, do you think? Well, I, I think it is life force. Ultimately, I, I don't mm. think any of us can avoid change uh, as individuals, uh, as business leaders, as communities, yeah. uh, as as you know, a planet. It's something that happens to us, uh, mm -hmm. whether we like it or not. And so we have to choose how we respond to change. And and I think leaders in particular are people who are either. Uh, leading organizations or communicating on behalf of those leaders, we have a responsibility to help people understand the change that's happening around them and help them embrace it, cope with it, beyond cope with it, actually uh, grab a hold of it and see as an opportunity. And I think that's where great communication plays a role. Mm. Yeah, unreal. So you mentioned some guys in the book like Steve Jobs, Martin Luther King, and Mandela, and all these, you know, these guys have been massive in history. Look, how do we learn off these guys? Sorry, say that again. So throughout history, in the book, you've got um, stories with guys like Steve Jobs, Martin Luther King, Mandela. They've obviously had like huge movements in, in history. So say if you're yeah. someone who probably doesn't potentially have the credibility yet and we're not really at that level yet, how do we learn off, off these guys who've made these huge movements in the past? Yes, yes. Well, that's one of the things that Nancy Duarte and I studied deeply is how can we emulate those people who have driven very large-scale change in society and entire industries, and, and what are the patterns that help them be successful? And mm -hmm. and that's really the structure that Illuminate uh, unveils is 
the shape of the journey that all change takes, and it, it applies to any sort of initiative of any scale, not just something as massive as a civil rights movement or uh, as, as impactful as a startup like Apple was in its early days. You could be uh, trying to just run a project uh, whether it's you know from getting a website done to a fundraiser for the kids at school, uh, all of those are hard things to do because you have to enlist other people's support, and it's not probably their number one priority. And mm -hmm. so it equals change to them, even if it seems very small in in uh, your mind. And so you have uh, the challenge of persuading them to come along with you to help them see your vision for what the end state is going to be and why it's important for them to help you make it a reality. Uh, and, you know, it maybe sounds trivial, but I, but I really do think that, that almost everything can be a movement. Almost everything mm -hmm. requires you to rally people behind a vision, whether it's small or large. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, I really like that. And uh, you said that change affects different people differently, which uh, was another good part of the book I really like. Can you talk us through the venture, the venture scape? So we've got those five or, or six uh, stages along the, along the journey, and you said that can be applied to any journey, really. So can you talk us through those stages? Absolutely, yeah. Well, one of the things that we discovered in researching the book when trying to understand the journey of change is that it actually follows a story structure. Essentially, it's the same thing as the hero's journey. If you've ever read Joseph Campbell uh, or, or looked at the work of Carl Jung or anyone who describes sort of the mythical uh, experiences of humans, mm -hmm. uh, that all follows a similar sort of structure. Uh, mm -hmm. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it plots the path of a protagonist or a group of protagonists who are trying to uh, head to a new place, which is how I think of the future. The future is actually a place. Yeah. So, so the beginning of the journey it starts when you as a leader or a creator imagine that place you want people to go with you, and we call that the dream stage. Now, you actually might spend months or years crystallizing your vision, figuring out actually what it is and how mm -hmm. to get there. But once it's clear enough in your mind to start communicating it, you begin the journey bringing other people along with you in the dream stage. You declare your vision to them and you say, this is how glorious it's going to be. Or you say, this is how horrible things are now and why we have to go to this new place. But the journey doesn't stop there. And I think a lot of leaders expect it to. They sort of think, uh, you know, if I just explain it really well once, <laughs> everybody's just going to, it's going to happen, right? Make it so. Yeah. The reality is everybody you're trying to persuade has to make a choice in that moment, whether they're going mm. to join you or not. And that's what we call the second stage of this venturescape is leap because it requires a leap of faith on their part. Mm -hmm. Most likely the vision is pretty fuzzy and abstract, and there's not actually a lot of guarantee that it's going to come true in the way that you described it. So people have to be willing to say, okay, you know, I get where you're going, and it's alluring enough that I'm yeah. willing to take the first step with you. Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. the beginning. Yeah. Now, the, the middle of the journey is actually the meat of the story. Just like in any movie or book that you've ever loved, it's where all the action happens. It's full of conflict and, mm -hmm. and battles and tests and trials. And the same thing happens in the journey that you're taking people on, which we call the fight and climb stages. Because 
that's what it feels like to them. You know, they are, they're fighting their way through all kinds of obstacles to try and make this vision of yours a reality. And every time they overcome an obstacle, they get a little closer to the goal, which is the climbing piece. But the reality is it often feels like you're making a little progress and you're falling backward a little bit too. Mm-hmm. So it's this sort of endless slog of gaining ground and losing ground as you inch your way toward that goal. Uh, and then at some point, finally, you get close enough to that goal that you can say you've arrived, which is that last stage of the journey. Yeah. And that's when, you know, it's the time to stop and sort of take stock of what you did and celebrate it before you take the next journey. Yeah, it seems like you, you'd have to be an incredible type of person to, to lead a whole bunch of people through the leap, fight, dream, climb and arrive stage. Because with so many people resisting the change, as you, as you mentioned at the start. Well, I, I think it is a tough and exhausting job for a leader. And uh, I, I know that uh, leaders like Dr. King really struggled with that. And, and he wrote about it in his memoirs, you know, that, that he yeah. had moments where he felt what his travelers felt, which is, this is too hard. I want to quit. I want to go back to yeah. being a small town preacher, you know, because yeah, this is really exhausting. It's, it seems like all, the one thing for me, anyway, that these guys have in common is they had like a a purpose bigger than themselves. And if I, you know, if you look at guys like Elon yeah. Musk in the world, they're working toward a bit, bigger goal. So it seems like they don't yeah. think of themselves so much when they're leading everyone through this movement to, to make the world a better place, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think you have to have a lot of conviction in your vision to be able to sustain yourself through yeah. those struggles. But I also think that every leader is human, and um, and I've certainly experienced it in the business and in the process of even taking this book to market and building new services around this book, mm. that I, I get stuck in the fight, too, and I am just as prone to feel doubt as the people I'm asking to do this work with me. And so sometimes I, even as a leader, mm. need to turn to somebody else who is sort of a co-leader, and it, and I can say to them, look, my energy is sagging right now. Can you yeah. step mm. up and rally people? <laughs> you know. So mm. I, I think it's sort of misleading to think that one hero can save us all. I yeah. think really it takes a team. Yeah, you mentioned in the book the uh, idea of Lord of the Rings, and, and uh, yeah, it seemed like Frodo had a lot of dudes helping him as well, and chicks, <laughs> I guess. Which, <laughs> I haven't seen right? it, so I can't relate. Yeah, Adam's gonna, he's going to see it still. Yeah, everybody needs a Sam, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> um, so back to the, uh, I guess back to the beginning stages, the the important part you, you talk about is is listening. First, you're a listener, listening empathetically, and then uh, then you can become the torchbearer after that. And in a bit of... Uh, a bit of stalking we did for the interview. You had a, a nice post dispelling the uh, the five myths about empathy. Um, can you talk a little bit about empathy and listening empathet- empathetically before you take on this journey? I think it's so important uh, to for a few reasons to listen to the people that you're trying to lead or or co-create this vision with. Uh, because one, I think if sometimes leaders get so caught up in the um, truth of their idea, what the rightness of it, that they can't see the flaws in it. Mm-hmm. And every idea is flawed. Mm-hmm. And and so if you don't examine the, the flaws before you start marching forward, your people are going to run into those flaws and they're going to feel pretty duped. Uh, you know, they're going to yeah, say, wait, well, sure. hold on a minute. You know, <laughs> that's... That, that was a whole lot of goods you sold us, and yeah. actually it's not that easy, right? Yeah. 
So, so to be a good mentor to them, I think you have to let them poke holes in your strategy. You have mm. to ask other people to validate your ideas so that you know really what you're getting yourself into. Um, I think the other reason that's, that listening is so powerful is because it, it helps you understand the people you're trying to guide and find ways to connect with them uh, that will inspire them and keep them motivated when things get really tough. Um, again, I, I think it's a, it's conceit to believe that the leader themselves is really the hero of right. this journey. I think the people who you're asking to make the change are actually the heroes. So you want to understand what's meaningful to them, what will motivate them, and speak into that so that they feel um, involved in the process of, of this journey, planning and executing it, but also that they feel understood and and, and valued. Yeah, sure. And one of the, the myths you had was that uh, if someone says maybe listening to too many people and getting too many points of view makes it all cloudy and makes it tougher to make a decision that will please everyone. Uh, but uh, as you said, it's important to definitely get everyone's point of view and understand where each person is because change is going to affect everyone differently. Yeah, I, I, I like, I, I, I'm a planner. I don't like surprises. So maybe that's why I steer this methodology in that direction to uh, to anticipate. Just try and understand what you're going to get yourself into, how people are going to respond as best as you can before you get started so that you can um, be better ready to re- react in that moment. And I think the more perspectives you gather, the more you're ready to uh, encounter and guide mm. those different perspectives and sure. the different people when you get there. Yeah. So yeah, you talked a little about uh, igniting change through stories, but in the book, there's a few other things, and one I liked was the use of symbols. Can so how how and why are symbols important, and how do we how can we use them if we if we're trying to make make change? Mm. Well, so symbols are uh, really powerful because they have distilled meaning in them. I mean, if you just think about anything. Uh, any kind of object or artifact that is on your desk or on your person, you know, that that you collect and keep near you, it probably is something that you hold dear because it it represents a memory. It represents an experience that you went through before or a person um, that has meaning for you. So it's, it's an emotionally charged object or reminder of that person or that moment in time. And so for that reason, we cling to symbols. We use mm-hmm. them uh, ourselves to motivate ourselves. And I think that they're also a useful communication tool for leaders to pull in uh, because they can create shared meaning. So an example of that might be um, a, a leader who was uh, taking her team on an offsite to vision where they're going next as a team, and they held their offsite in uh, a beach side town and they all um, when they were going through meetings you know and they started getting really tired and she said all right let's take a break and so they went out to the beach and they uh, had somebody there to teach them some surfing lessons Mm -hmm. and while they were taking these surfing lessons people were having this amazing experience that actually reminded them of of what change feels like which Mm -hmm. is the point of their planning offsite right Mm -hmm. well after they all get back into the meeting and, and they finish all their conversation, they start talking about what that surfing experience was like and, and how it represented the feeling of being, you know, cast adrift when you're in the middle of change. And that conversation was so powerful to them. That moment was so powerful that that they actually kept a surfboard from that experience and everybody signed it. 
and took it back with them to the office. And that surfboard became a symbol of a shared experience they had together and also of the meaning of the journey that they were on. And, and you can find symbols like that that have meaning to the people you're trying to communicate to, and they can add so much more depth to your communication, and they help people remember what it was about in the first place. That's fantastic. And as, as I was... Um as I was listening to that, I was like, "Wow, this is a really good story." <laughs> and is, is that just the way you speak now? Just it's always in these uh, these lovely story structures. <laughs> yes, I have. I have a sort of a three three buckets in my mind: beginning, <laughs> yeah. middle, and end. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like you can it's use kind that. Of hard for, not to. Yeah, it seems like you could use that for for anything. If you you know if you're doing a presentation, speaking to many, or if you're doing one on one, you just talking about the beginning, middle, and end. So, mm. yeah, really I, I think you're exactly right. They, they apply to any form of communication. And, and you know, sometimes I talk to, to people who uh, are averse to telling stories. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, they, they feel like, A, it takes too long. You know, just get to the point. Give me the facts. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, or, B, if it's a personal story, they don't really want to make themselves that vulnerable. And mm. I, I push against both of those things by saying, one, uh, the, the facts alone won't move people, and they're not as memorable as all the details that you hear when you hear about that uh, beachside offsite and the surfboard that mm. everybody signed afterward. You're going to remember that better than if I said X percent yeah, of, yeah, of totally. people who participate in experiences remember based on symbols, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so is, is vulnerability and, important to get like that empathetic kind of connection as well as listening, is it? I think so. I, I think communication is, is a give and a take. I think people, uh, you want to give them something, you want to give them some guidance, but they also want to take something from that, which is a deeper understanding of you, a deeper connection with you. I don't think we can avoid that as humans. Hmm. I think it's... I think it's what we crave and need more of in our lives. So I know I'm more likely to follow a leader who um, shows me a, a piece of who they are, who's not always you know, pointing at charts and timelines and, and commanding me to do things, but is helping me understand what's in their heart and why it's important to them that we do this and, and how they've struggled with it in their past. That's one of the reasons I love working with Nancy Duarte so much, mm-hmm. because she is she is uh, um, unplugged, <laughs> unfiltered, <laughs> all the time, and and it makes me uh, uh, respect and, and admire uh, her so much more as a leader. Yeah, because that's that's something rare. Like with me and Adam, we've both worked in like the corporate world, and it's very rare to, to see people show their mm-hmm. you know their true selves and their vulnerability and all that. There's a lot of a facade going on, and I've, I've something I've never really understood like the purpose of it and if it actually helps people with what they're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, how how can we, um, I'm still caught up in the the surfing story. I really, I really liked it. It was such like a, uh, I was able to relate it so well. So you talk about the, I want to, I guess for, for myself and for people listening that how can they tell better stories? So in the, in the book here in the, it was chapter three, the Torchbearers Toolkit, engaging with stories as you said the the beginning is almost like the that relatable uh aspect of it whereas i'm sure people have been in off-site planning meetings before and and felt the need to take a break and then the the middle was that shared experience it was uh perhaps that roadblocks of learning new things of surfing and understanding what change feels like and at the end where everyone uh, 
came together. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about how we can tell better stories through those uh, beginning, middle, and end? Mm. Well, I, I think I think it helps to first to know what the point is because I think a lot of people. Um, if they start to try, st- try to tell stories, they may be inclined to tell a lot of personal stories. Let me tell you about the time mm. when uh, I was selected for this you know, premium position in the company and I got promoted and how amazing I was. And, you know, and, and really the <laughs> message of that is just, I'm amazing, I've always been amazing, and I'm probably more amazing than you. you know? and, and I think they think they're trying to help you understand them, but really they're still seeing themselves as the hero. You know? Okay, and, so that's, and, a, that's the person who's heard that. Uh, heard podcasts saying tell more stories and they think okay i'll tell some (laughs) stories about myself is that right exactly right (laughs) that's pretty much it yeah so i would say first of all if you want to get better at storytelling certainly study other people who do it really well Mm -hmm. i think you know steve jobs and martin luther king jr and all the great communicators of the world but but there are many everyday people probably somebody in a sales organization somebody in some kind of relational role that you know a pastor uh, um, a, a recruiter people who just naturally are great storytellers because they know how to connect with people and and it's just an, a language that they that is uh, innate to them so you can study those people but but you also if, if it doesn't come naturally to you I think it helps if you uh, if you start by trying to understand the people you're trying to move what kind of story is actually going to uh, cause the shift in them that you want to see and make sure that you know what that point is before you put the effort into trying to craft a story following that three-part structure I think is sort of easy hmm. um, you know to, to identify who is the hero in this story uh, you know what are they struggling with and how were they changed in the end I think you start asking people some questions that'll start to reveal itself the hard part is choosing the right story in my opinion hmm. Hmm. love it uh, another another part of the toolkit we talk you mentioned in the book was using ceremonies. So, is that uh, can you talk tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, that was one of the really fun pieces of research that Nancy and I did in writing Illuminate was uh, understand trying to understand what drives people to change and and sometimes we learn not only by seeing or hearing but we learn by doing mm. and. Uh, that's in a lot of ways what ceremonies are. The way I see them is they're they're like stories played out in physical form mm. because they actually follow a story structure too. Uh, from the very first rituals that humans performed, which actually came before verbal communication in most civilizations, those rituals also had a beginning, middle, and an end, and they were. Um, essentially telling the story, especially in the rites of passage, of a person changing, mm-hmm. whether it is a, uh, a, a child uh, coming of age mm. and being acknowledged that they are now, you know, an yeah. adult or on their path to adulthood, to a couple who's, who were individuals and now united in, in marriage. Mm. Uh, those follow a structure that start with somebody one way mm-hmm. and then uh, transforming through the process of that ceremony. And uh, so ceremonies are kind of a natural language that we use to process change, to cope with it and get comfortable with it. Yeah, love it. And in, in the book, you showed a, a powerful ceremony, I remember, of Steve Jobs uh, with a coffin ceremony or uh, like the, the death of the old developing system or, or something of the old, of the old Mac. That was, uh, that was pretty cool. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a very dramatic moment. 
for if, for those who haven't read it, and I certainly wasn't there, <clears throat> but I can feel it when I read the story and and just how shocking it was for him to stand up on the there on stage and the, what he was trying to do was convince developers that uh, application developers that they needed to move to the next operating system, but they were they ha- were really attached to the existing operating system for a lot of reasons and they, their livelihoods were built on it. And so when, when people are that attached to something, uh, sometimes the only way to get them to let go of it is to ritually mm. kill it. Kill it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and, and that's basically what Steve Jobs was doing. He said, look, this is, you know, the, the hero was OS 9 and y'all loved it. Uh, yeah. But it has to it has to die now. It's time to come. We put it in the coffin. Let me close the lid and let me eulogize it so yeah. that we all get that that era is over. It's time yeah. to move on. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that does sound powerful. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I might be feeling a little angry today, so maybe that's where Kill came from. Is, um, <laughs> is, something on the side, is, is Apple one of your clients? I think I read somewhere. Is it, are they still one of your clients? I can neither confirm nor deny that rumor. Yeah, some of the organizations that we work with um, don't want us revealing that because uh, it's it's sort of uh, their secret uh, yeah, okay. sauce. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Love it. Uh, as we wrap up the interview with now, so obviously we're a, a, a podcast that interviews a lot of awesome books. What What is the best book you've ever read or the most influential in your life? Mm. Well, there have been so many, I, and I have stacks and stacks that I can point to. I, I, I guess I'll answer in two ways. Hmm. Uh, from a business perspective, uh, there are a couple of books. I, I'm sorry, I can't give you one, but but there one book uh, by Jim Collins called Good to Great mm-hmm. is probably one of the best uh, books for anyone who wants to avoid being mediocre, who wants to build a business that will last. Uh, that that book is the Bible for for that kind of thinking. Uh, I also really loved a book called Eating the Big Fish by Adam Morgan, which mm-hmm. in a similar vein is all about how to um, overtake the dominant company when you are a challenger brand. And mm-hmm. it's brilliant, full of strategies for revolutionaries. And I can't highly rec- can't can't re- recommend it highly enough. Nice. We haven't read uh, Good to Great yet. It's sitting on the shelves behind us. But I haven't heard of the uh, Eating the Big Fish before, so that's definitely one to add to the list. Yeah, yeah, definitely pick that one up. Yeah, nice, cool. Uh, so, what's uh, what's the most valuable thing you've ever learned through your, your working career or through through your life? You think? Deep question. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's actually something I still struggle with to this day, and it, it's been uh, the part of my own journey of development here at Duarte, which is actually being vulnerable, <laughs> which mm. is telling my own story. Uh, I have spent my entire career in service of other communicators, other leaders, helping them tell their stories, and I and I uh, I, I plead with them to reveal themselves, to share their own learnings and insights and challenges with people, and I hate doing it myself. So, um, you know, the, the, in watching my colleague and friend Nancy Duarte and how she communicates, I've really uh, seen the transformative power of honesty and of vulnerability, and it's probably the most powerful lesson that I've ever had in my career, and I, and I hope to master it one day. Yeah, but, but it's it's a journey. Yeah, for sure. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much for that. Where can uh, people find more about you and Duarte and, um, and yeah, learn, learn more about this sort of stuff? 
Absolutely. Uh, check out our website, www.duarte.com. That's D-U-A-R-T-E.com. Uh, you'll find a ton of resources there. You can also find me on Twitter at PattySan, P-A-T-T-I-S-A-N, uh, and uh, Nancy Duarte on Twitter and or on LinkedIn. Lots of fun articles and, and content for you to uh, feed your brain with. Phenomenal. Thank you so much, Patty. Uh, that'll wrap us up. So, yeah, in, enjoy your, the rest of your weekend. Yeah. Keep ignoring change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I really love the conversation too. Yes, great, great questions and you're fun. Fun folks. So thank you. Thank, thank you, so you very much for that. <laughs> Dude, typically if a book has one passage, one idea, it can have the power to change your life. And that, I think, just justifies spending the 20 bucks and a few hours reading it. When you think of the uh, investment, you think of the input and you think of the outputs on the other end, the, the ROI, the return on investment, massive. Yeah. I, mean, I think books are some of the best things I've ever learned in my life, definitely, all from books. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review or uh, shoot us a message if you've got any book recommendations. Email us at podcast at whatyouwilllearn.com. We're looking for our next round of books to read and review, so flick us your favourites. Flicker it, flick it, flick it, baby.